If I were living my best life, I'm pretty sure I would be Jodie Foster in Contact. A determined, smart woman who dresses badly, drinks beer, spends most of her time alone, is right when everyone else is wrong, and fucks Matthew McConaughey on her terms, not his. Contact came out when I was a senior in college, but a mere freshman in losing my religion. I went to church all the time as a kid. I even went to church camp every summer. But I always had misgivings gnawing at me. By the time I was in college, I was firmly agnostic, but I didn't hate religion. I felt, and still do feel, a lot of compassion for the desire to believe. Contact hit me in exactly the right spot. In addition to wanting to be Jodie Foster, I admired the movie's attempt to find commonality between the pursuit of science and the pursuit of faith. When Palmer Joss says he believes Dr. Arroway's story because their goal is the same, the search for truth, I couldn't help but admire that optimism. A week after seeing the movie, I ran into a guy I once went to church with, and he had just seen it too. Oh, it was wonderful, he said. I love that she turned to Christ at the end. We see what we want to see, I guess. One person sees an ending that reaffirms their religion, another sees an ending that reaffirms their lack of one. We all see what we want to see. So, I choose to see myself standing on a space beach with David Morse, learning that none of us are alone. This is Stupid Human Suits. Welcome, welcome, welcome back welcome to Stupid, Stupid Human Suits. Uh, <laughs> this week we have our first returning guest ever, astrophysicist, writer, and Harvard grad currently pursuing her PhD in astronomy from Columbia. Uh, the university, not the country, <laughs> although either would be fine. Uh, Moya McTeer, Yay, you can Moya. follow her at go at at go ast- go astro most. Don't look at me. <laughs> Carol's looking at me because I'm messing this up. And we asked Moya to come back this week because there was some science news recently that isn't about how Trump is getting rid of science. <laughs> so that's that's a that's a, one of the silver lining. Mm-hmm. Um, Moya, thank you for being here. And thanks uh, for inviting me back. I think obviously you know we uh, would love to talk about Trappist One, right? Yes. If we could. Um, yeah. yeah. So there are uh, seven new planets. I mean. Not new planets, new to us. Um, <laughs> like they're going to be offended. <laughs> Excuse me. No, they're listening to this. Yeah, like, we are indigenous. We've been here longer than you. You're so. indigenous to part of the sky. <laughs> but uh, yes, please explain. Seven planets. <laughs> yeah, just go. Explain. We're not going to ask <laughs> all any of questions. it. Just yeah, all just the go. science. Just I'm just talking this entire time. Yeah, okay. you are the podcast now. Uh, right. So, do you want to know why seven planets is exciting? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So. Our solar system has eight planets, nine, if you believe in Pluto. I believe in Pluto. I I, I do, too. Okay, so in this podcast, the solar system has nine planets. (laughs) Fuck you, NDT. (laughs) Um, Wow. And only only four of them, five, including Pluto, are rocky. Mm -hmm. But this solar system, TRAPPIST-1, has seven rocky planets, which more than doubles uh, the number of rocky planets that we can study really well, uh, study the atmospheres. And so, like, Earth is a rocky planet, Venus is not a rocky planet, it's more of a gaseous planet, is that correct? It's rocky, it just has a thick atmosphere. Oh, okay. What's a a non-rocky planet in our solar? Jupiter. Jupiter, okay. Yeah, so all of the gas giants in our planet. Sean's shaking his head at me for being dumb. I am helping out the people out there who are as dumb as I am. These are important questions to ask. Thank you. Pluto gassy. (laughs) That's fine. You're gassy. <laughs> Why well, yeah. do you hate her so much? I don't know. We're married. It's okay to hate her. It's fine. Anyway. Yeah. So, rocky plant, seven rocky planets. Seven rocky planets. And all of these rocky planets are... Fighting uh, Drago. Are... What? Sorry. It was a rocky movie joke. Oh. Uh, they're, they're all fighting Drago. Mm-hmm. Rocky Four. 
Yeah, it was a Rocky Four joke. I just listen. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> it's, you, it's you, it, this, you are the podcast now. <laughs> um, okay, so the size of these planets relative to their star is is pretty big because all of the planets are Earth-sized more or less, mm-hmm. and the star is the size of Jupiter. Oh, okay. So when that, when those conditions are met. It means we can more easily study their atmospheres, study the planet's atmospheres. Because it's not being just swallowed by the the sun, uh, their stars. Exactly. Stuff. Exactly. Um, Star junk. Yeah. So uh, basically the atmosphere of their planet is big enough that when the starlight passes through the atmosphere, we'll be able to study how that light is affected. And when we we do that, that's called spectroscopy, and we can figure out what elements are in the atmosphere. And what do you... Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was saying it. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no. No, you. No, no, you. <laughs> this is marriage, everyone. This mm-hmm. has been stupid humans. This has been the last episode. <laughs> uh, what, how do you so uh, spec, in spectroscopy mm-hmm. um, when you uh, you're analyzing the the starlight or the the light from the planet to find out what kind of elements are there, right? Yes. So what uh, what would what are the things you would need to see? Like obviously besides water. I don't know if you could see that through spectra. You can't, right? It's just elements. There are water lines, but no. So we're looking for things called biosignatures, and the, those are elements that really only exist in in high abundances because of life. So things like oxygen, um, carbon dioxide, methane, which exists because of digestive practices. <laughs> um, we are generating some methane right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're looking for those types of signatures when we can say if we find enough of that in an atmosphere then the planet probably has life. Well, what are the what are some of the elements that uh, as a star uh, now first of all it's it's an ultra cool dwarf yeah, star, right? Which, uh, yes. I I think I read that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that first sentence, the, the ultra cool star. I think you and I both had the same. It's ultra cool. That is ultra cool. It had sex really young. It knows it knows where all the cigarettes are. What? That sounds awful. Um, it's uh, so like, uh, what kind of elements are produced as like? Because I've I've I know this much that uh, many of the elements on our planet are the product of uh, stars going, you know, the, the nuclear furnace running out and going supernova, exploding mm-hmm. and seeding the galaxy. What mm-hmm. what are some of the elements that you find in from that process on a you know, say like on wh- what would you expect to find on some of these rocky planets? Yeah, so. Uh, so- Stars before they go supernova only, so they, they stars work because they they fuse elements into each other. So it starts with hydrogen, and then that fuses into helium, and then it fuses into heavier and heavier. So it gets elements. more complicated the the elements. Definitely. Okay. Um, and I think the the heaviest element we can expect from a star like this is somewhere around iron. Okay. Um, that's that's if if you made like a curve of of heavier heaviest elements, uh. It, the curve would start to drop off after iron. It just can't fuse after that. Yeah, it's just it's not it's not big enough. There's not enough gravity to things are fusing because the gravity of the star is pushing in on itself and making things pack together really mm. tightly with a lot of energy. And that energy is high enough to make elements fuse. But if you don't have a star that that's that massive, then it's not going to have enough gravity to fuse heavier elements. And that's why uh, all of the heavier elements that exist in our solar system that exist on our planet are from stars in other, not in our solar system, but stars further out in the galaxy going supernova. Oh. And when things go Super supernova, massive. Um, they, are, they were more massive stars. Uh, they're, so our star 
our sun is not gonna go supernova it's just gonna have like a a quiet death really where it's gonna puff up into a red giant and mm-hmm. then it's slowly gonna gonna go back into a white dwarf maybe but it's not gonna like oh, that's explode nice. <laughs> um, Does, um this is a probably remedial question um all of these are what are you talking about yeah good good point <laughs> um can you tell the age of uh trappist one as compared to our sun yeah there are different ways that you can tell the age of a star mm-hmm. um you can tell it based on how active it is. So ultra-cool dwarfs, M-dwarfs, like TRAPPIST-1, are more magnetically active than our sun. But their level of activity changes as they age. Mm-hmm. So we can we can tell its age based on that. You can tell a star's age based on how quickly it's rotating. So just like Earth, just like planets, stars rotate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can see that they're rotating if they have star spots. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah. if we if we can see their star spots and we know a little bit about what kind of star it is because on different types of stars, star spots will have longer or shorter lives. So are the spots just uh, magnetic areas that are bl- like it's not visible light, but it's it's block is it blocking light? Like what are star spots? Um that's a really good question. We didn't <laughs> cover this in my stellar structures class. <laughs> Uh, they're I, freckles. Yeah. The star they're, star they're freckles. freckles. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. Star sparkles. Yay. Um, no, it, it almost certainly has something to do with magnetic activity. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you, uh, What is, do we know yet if uh, TRAPPIST-1 has always been that size or did it, do, it, is this like it's later in life phase uh, as a star or was it all, was it born sort of weak and just mm-hmm. stayed weak? It, it is later in its life. This is an, a late M dwarf, so it's it's pretty oh. old. Okay. Um, so older than our solar system. Mm, Where did that maybe. come from? Where did that come you, from? I don't know what Unbelievable. you looked at me like. I just you just, where did that come from? You, don't, you never ask you a lady never her age. You never ask a solar system <laughs> her age. It's listening, and, it, and you've offended it twice. My yeah, God. This is really upsetting. <sighs> Sorry. Uh, <sighs> No, so our solar system is about four and a half billion years old. Or 6,000 years, depending on which. You're right. <laughs> My bad. I don't want to. The math <laughs> works out. 6,000, 4.5 billion. It's the same Somewhere thing. between that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's our range. And the TRAPPIST-1 system uh, has existed as it is now, we think, for about half a billion years. Uh, but it took a. So the star had to cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a really long time for that to happen because M dwarfs, things on M dwarfs just happen more slowly than they do on stars like the sun. Gotcha. So it's old. Yeah. Well, Sean. How, so, but it's the, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I, I, I was reading that the, uh, uh, the planets that, uh, that might have, that were hopeful might have some organic material or, or mm-hmm. sustainable situation. Uh, are really, really close to the dwarf star. Mm-hmm. Like, how close are we talking? Uh, they, th- so the closest planet has a period of a day and a half. What's a, What does that mean? It means that its year is a day and a half. Oh, cripes. Yeah, so it goes around the star once every every 1.5 days. And so that means it's probably from a distance from its star, the same distance as we are to Jupiter, they're close. They're gotcha. really close. And the furthest planet has a period of fifteen days. Wow! Yeah, That's imagine it. living. Imagine if you 
got a year older every 15 days. God, yeah, you'd have to get like a Comedy Central half hour after like <laughs> five days. Otherwise, you're too old to get one, oh. guys. Yeah. Oh, 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 stop. <laughs> stop. Stop. That's hurtful. The, the You can't see her face, but it's actually a little actual. She's actually feeling for me. Right. Stop feeling for me. Stop it. People see you feel for me, and I look weak. Oh, well. No! No! <laughs> now, now everyone oh, feels bad. Everybody stop feeling for me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so. <laughs> I don't mean to. It's just so. So oh, let me, um, uh, if the, Sean, if you had more on that, we can go back uh, to it. But um, uh, so how long uh, with the current technology that we have, mm-hmm. if we wanted to get to Trappist One, how long would it take to get there? The the fastest we could go right now is about 35,000 miles an hour. And going at that speed, it would take about 500,000 years to get there. Okay, so that won't work. No. Um <laughs> But uh, there are a couple of movies that have other options, and I just want to run through them Great. and and find out which of these technologies you think we're closest to. Uh, okay. Because basically, I want someone to go in my lifetime. And I just want to you know get mm-hmm. this figured out. Um, so Star Trek has a warp drive that allows you to travel faster than the speed of light. Yes. Is that a good option? Are we there yet? We're not there yet. Uh, there are some theoretical physicists in the world who are thinking about wormholes, so that's how faster than light travel mm-hmm. works. It's not uh, that you're like moving. That's how warp drive works. You're not actually moving faster than light, but you, if you think of space as a piece of fabric, you're like crumpling it up so that you're tunneling through pieces, tunneling through folds of fabric, and that's what a wormhole is. So you don't have to go as far, but because space is folded in these little creases, you're moving like further on an absolute scale. Um, and so theoretical physicists are are think are working on that. And by that, I mean, they're like sitting in their offices dreaming, and dreaming yeah. about wormholes. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's it. Cause uh, now I'm angry at every movie. Cause they're basically all using the same. <laughs> Cause like contact um, basically an amusement park ride drops you into a wormhole. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a thing we could put together or an, an amusement park? It ride? was kind of like it's that a- big, gyroscopy thing that then dropped have you her- seen contact yes yeah it's a uh, it has big rings they just called it the machine oh, yeah that, the machine that, the yeah big, the big it, it looks like it would be a lot of fun um but i i don't really see how that would open up a wormhole hmm. well that no. sucks yeah uh interstellar diving into a black hole and hoping that's for the best sad. you know that's not not a terrible idea <laughs> uh, <laughs> is anybody working on that plan right now yeah I, I think i think right now we're we're so gravitational waves mm-hmm. uh, have been discovered. So a lot of attention has been, we've been paying a lot of attention to gravitational waves and black holes lately. The thing about black holes is that you don't just like fall into the center. <laughs> you have to go a- around the, have, do you remember those, those like big uh, funnel type things where Toilets. you would drop a penny <laughs> and it would go around oh, yeah, and around? Yeah. And oh. That's what a black hole is like, except it takes, a lot longer for the penny to go around into and drop into the black hole. And it time slows down, right? The closer you get, so yeah, yeah. Uh, there's this thing called gravitational time dilation, which says that if you're experiencing really high gravity, that that time changes for for you, mm-hmm. um, not for everyone else, right? Um, and so, to everyone else, if you were falling into a black hole, it would look like you had stopped, but you're 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 still going. Oh wow! They said, like, isn't it like it, it, as you would approach uh, a black hole, like once you hit the event horizon, you're you're stretched 
Inf- like, would you feel? It, it has a really fun word. Yeah. Have you heard this word? It's called spaghettification. No, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. So as you approach a black hole, you get you get stretched apart because the uh, the change in gravity from like one place hmm. to an infinite like. Yeah, all the gravity yeah, bas- yeah. basically like uh, you're getting stretched apart because the the gravitational pull on the front of your body would be different from the gravitational pull on the back of your body just so the length of your body would be yeah. oh, that, that's crazy yeah. so do you think it, would you feel that though like do you know what I mean like or would you it would it be sp- how could you not <laughs> yeah, Sean. I, I don't know because we're also you're stretching the fabric of space itself, right? At the same, is it is your body being stretched uh, commensurately with the fabric of space, or is it just like now, in a in a black hole, space isn't being stretched? Okay, so yeah, so time just, is just being weird. You're just getting fucked. Yeah, yeah. So th- I'm not liking this option Call really. Me. Yeah, for, no, um, I think wormhole wins so far. Okay, uh, well, well, final uh, is Dune. Giant fetus takes peyote and folds space for you. Yeah, we yes. working on that. Yeah, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's that sounds like the most fun. NASA on the, on for the, the twelfth floor of my, my office, <laughs> actually, they have they have several babies. They're feeding them a lot, that's trying great. to get them get them to that get giant them baby some form. melange. Yeah, this is uh, exactly what conservative radio thinks scientists are doing <laughs> yeah. right now. Those babies yeah. had a life. To be clear, for any conservative people <laughs> who are listening, we don't, don't actually have that happening. There are the no babies of... being fed an imaginary, right. mind-altering spice <laughs> to create. And Planned Parenthood's making mm-hmm. money off of all of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's all we should do with this podcast is spread rumors to get to the concern. Then people will just hate listen. Oh, that's Ooh. great. I know. That's did, good you, did you hear about this? <laughs> Hate numbers are, are big numbers. Oh, they're yeah. huge. Yeah, we get Alex Jones to uh, <laughs> talk about this. I don't know if you heard about this. <laughs> I don't know if you heard about this podcast, but they they dropped the bomb. <laughs> they dropped the bomb that there are fetuses <laughs> who are, are bending space and time. Thanks, Obama. I really wish our listeners could see you doing this because you really do look like Alex Jones as you're doing it. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, honey. It's the angle and the... Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. No, it's your acting. It's so good. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Well, we'll just forget I said that. I I think you you missed one method, though. Oh. Uh, Which is Futurama's method of using dark matter to, to fuel a ship. What now that seems that... like a possibility. Uh huh. I we don't know what dark matter is, so we don't we don't know how that works. But uh-huh. uh, Professor Good. Farnsworth knows how it works, <laughs> so that's all that matters. And it is everywhere: dark matter, dark energy. I mm-hmm. mean, they're saying that's supposedly what's keeping our galaxy intact. Yeah, it's and it's it's also what's fueling the expansion of the universe, the accelerated expansion of the universe. I don't understand. Yeah, dark matter makes up a quarter, three quarters. One of the two. I mean, when we say when you, you say matter, though, like since it's not visible, is it just is it subatomic? This matter, or is it? Yeah, we don't know. There, are, there are a lot of different theories about what dark matter is. It's alien poop. It's oh, alien. Right, yeah, no. uh, <laughs> Futurama did get the, a, did get the answer. Poop. It's it's Nibbler's poop. <laughs> oh, yeah, dark matter oh, is. That's Nibbler. right. Um, Nibbler's poop. Nibbler. Uh, no, so the reason we call it dark matter is because it doesn't interact with the electromagnetic force. The electromagnetic force is is light. So it doesn't interact with light, so we can't see it, but it does interact with other things through gravity. So it, it pulls on things, and that's how we know it's there. 
Oh, okay. So basically you're seeing something that's affecting gravity, not light, and whatever that thing is is mm-hmm. dark matter. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, like, it's like wind. You can't uh-huh. see wind directly, but you can see it moving a leaf. And so you know the wind is there. Yeah. That's what dark matter what is. What if dark matter is just like trillions of stage hands <laughs> just out there and they're the ones moving the stars around like and they're all just teamsters but they're dressed entirely in black so you can't see them they're like we gotta move we it's also my alex jones voice we we gotta move this uh this constellation oh uh, we got we got another show coming in tomorrow <laughs> it's getting worse I'm so alone. <laughs> I'm married, but I'm so alone. Aww, you don't good. understand me. Aww. I have a muse. <laughs> uh, All right, Sean, ask a question. I am the voice of several brands. <laughs> you can hear my work at iSpot. Um, so, all right, so... Travis one uh, to circle back mm-hmm. just briefly there. So there are seven planets. How many of those planets do we think are possibly habitable or could sustain life? Three of the planets are in the habitable zone. Uh, so that just means that if the planets were black bodies, if they took in all of the energy from their star and re-emitted it as heat, uh-huh. then they would have the right temperature for liquid water. But we don't know what their atmospheres are like yet. Uh. So it all depends on our on basically what atmospheres we put into our models mm-hmm. so we could have it could be like three venuses or, exactly okay yeah okay. which is, which is really exciting because even if if one of the planets in the habitable zone has a venus-like atmosphere then there are still other options uh that we can explore that might have earth-like atmospheres how long is the process for investigating that yeah. like i mean is this what's our months, timeline years, for finding out lifetimes so after the discovery a lot of different telescopes around the world started observing TRAPPIST-1. And I think that the the first release of data from TRAPPIST-1 is coming out in the next month or so mm. from K2. Uh, actually, no, March 7th, K2 uh, will release its, its publicly available data on TRAPPIST-1 in three days. Is oh, wow. K2 the telescope we were talking about last time in Hawaii? Uh, it was built that's, on... That's the 30-meter telescope. K2 oh, is, is out in space. It's the repurposed oh. Kepler mission. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I've heard of that. And so other other telescopes are also being pointed at it right now to study its atmosphere. And, well, I I mean, it's a, it's a big priority in the community. So in, in less than a year, I think we'll have at least preliminary data. Oh, wow. Can can we do with the space telescopes what like what the very large array does? You know, just you space out a, a number of telescopes and they can operate in conjunction with another telescope halfway around the world and create mm-hmm. an artificially large lens. Can we do that with space telescopes or do we need so many in one so many telescopes in one place so many in another place so many in another place to create a giant triangle or mm-hmm. can it work with just one satellite one satellite one satellite mm-hmm. so that's that's called an interferometer and we don't have any space interferometers yet i think because it would be really expensive yeah uh the technology to first launch things into space but then keep them in certain configurations mm-hmm. once they're there mm-hmm. would was really difficult yeah so we don't have any of those uh, but just one, so the, the K2 spacecraft is actually pretty small. Um, I think it's it's the size of a few large humans put together. Um, <laughs> a couple of like, gronks. It's like four gronks. <laughs> that, should be, that should be the unit. It's yeah. definitely, the, that's four what gronks. I'm using from now on. Yeah, I How mean, many gronks is your telescope? They've got the smoot in Cambridge, I think, right? Right. 
Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty small, but it's powerful because it doesn't have to look through Earth's atmosphere. So it doesn't have all of this noisy mm. water vapor and nitrogen in the way. And that really eats up a lot of the clarity, that much clarity? That, yes, hmm. a huge amount. And so a, a lot of effort is, is put into just kind of uh, learning how to eliminate the noise from the atmosphere. Um, if astronomers had their, their wish, like just if they could just wish it to be this way, would they all choose to stop using uh, telescopes on Earth to avoid the, the haze and the heat and the, the atmosphere? Or is there just a, is there a specific value of Earth-based telescopes? If there, like if money wasn't, yeah. wasn't a thing, yeah. I, I, I don't know why, unless they were specifically trying to study the atmosphere. Right, okay. Then, then no. So but, uh, it would just it be just kitsch value. <laughs> It'd be adorable. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you uh, j- sort of a more general question. Um, what this discovery means for various people. So first of all, like, what does this discovery mean for scientists like you? Mm-hmm. Well, for, for me, I think a, a lot of people when the discovery was announced immediately started thinking of how their own research could apply to it. Mm-hmm. My own research is looking for mountains on planets. but Why mountains? So we've never found a mountain on an exoplanet before. We know about mountains in our other planets in our solar system, but we've never looked outside of our solar system mm. for mountains. Uh, this would be really cool. Like, imagine <laughs> if I'm like 40 years old and I can say I found the first mountain outside of our solar system. Could you system. name it? Maybe. I could at least Mount like Moya. colloquially, colloquially, I can speak colloquially name it, yeah. but NASA would probably have its own name. Mountain system. Twelve G Six X Four. It's romantic. <laughs> NASA's That's a your NASA voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just some asshole in a bar. Get this lady a shot! My NASA, my Alex Jones voice. They're all the same. I'm a great actor. So uh, what does it mean for people like me who really want a Jodie Foster in contact mm-hmm. moment? Like who are just ready for the aliens yeah. to whisk me away? Well, one of the most exciting things for me is that it's gotten so much attention that so many people know about exoplanets in space now <laughs> that might not otherwise have known about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a, a big selling point for me. But realistically, uh, we're we're probably not going to have a Jodie Foster contact moment anytime right. soon. We'll cross that one off. Um, what does it mean for politicians we're... who are anti-science? <sighs> <laughs> well, I'm like. They've been slapped in the face with some science. I'm just kind of. That's true. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I don't. I. I can't think of a specific example of politicians denying astronomy research. <laughs> um, Look, the evidence that stars exist is iffy. <laughs> I mean, we're not. The the answers aren't all in. Let's just let's keep politics out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. The uh, bowling ball that's on fire in the sky. <laughs> could be a star but it could be a bowling ball well apropos of this uh this part of the conversation i did some cursory searching uh to see if there was a religious response to the discovery um and (laughs) i came across an article on the christian post (laughs) and uh so this is from the beginning of the article they say the discovery of seven earth-sized planets orbiting a single star has sparked major excitement among some scientists looking at the possibility of life existing outside of earth but one Christian astrophysicist has warned that the chances of these planets being habitable are small and that Earth's uniqueness is proven again. Uh, in this case, the, the Christian astrophysicist is uh, Dr. Hugh Ross, mm-hmm. and they quote him as saying, I think that NASA is looking for funding, so I think they are actually hyping it a little bit more than they should. Uh, so a couple of questions. Um, one, 
what is a Christian astrophysicist? <laughs> I actually know several. You do? Yeah. That's it's a thing. It's it's a thing. And, they're just and, not and fundamentalists, so, or I, I guess, or they're, they're able to either separate science from their faith, or they've figured out some way to combine them and say like even if god did create everything then he also created he created the universe all the laws Th- they all say he it. so i'm you know, yeah i'm yeah. quoting <laughs> them. he created the universe and and he meant for me to to do this this research and so they, they found a way to combine their faith and i think that's a really beautiful thing that seems fine um i can imagine a, a world in which hugh ross mm-hmm. hugh ross's quote has been taken out of context because uh, the Trappist system is around an M dwarf star, which is the most common type of star in the in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And oh, really? our solar system is around an F or G type star, which is is pretty rare. Like we haven't oh. found many multi body systems around sun like stars. Uh, so it's true that this does kind of show how unique the earth is and that uh, systems like Trappist should be really common. Well, here I am being a douchebag and this is actually really <laughs> very nice. It just, it does seem like a very like congratulatory <laughs> to Once again, earth has done it. We got it, earth. Um, but to the, the other point, do you feel like NASA is hyping this or should this be hyped? Should, you know, we were talking about not having the money for certain things. And what's like, wrong with hype if yeah. It's for something good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's probably I I think it's really exciting, but I don't think it's the most exciting astrophysical discovery in the mm-hmm. last year. Like I, I personally think that gravitational waves are more exciting mm-hmm. because it was it was more difficult to find. It's something that people have been theorizing for for years and have been actively searching for. Um, and they haven't found yet. We've found thousands of exoplanets. We know about billions of M dwarf stars. Like it's it's not uh that exciting on a grand astrophysical scale right. but i absolutely love the fact that it's getting people excited about space mm-hmm. which i think is important can i uh just really quickly so the other gas planets around trappist one or even our own uh, did you ever read 2001 the the novel no um oh, don't worry about it uh there's um uh in 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 the book there's uh, uh maybe it's 2010 that where this happens but um the uh, the aliens that uh, D- David Bowman uh, becomes one with basically they um, they announce that they're to to uh, to Bowman and he s- shares the information with um, uh, who's the other guy uh, Roy Scheider <laughs> and he tells Roy Scheider <laughs> I wish the character's name was also Roy Scheider <laughs> tells Roy Scheider that uh, they're going to turn uh, he, the uh, space station has uh, that's orbiting Jupiter only has so many days left because they're going to turn Jupiter into a second sun by uh, collapsing because it's just big enough. It was right on the threshold of becoming another star. So it's just big enough, supposedly in the book, that they could collapse it and turn to a second sun. And uh, one of the in the book, they allude to how there actually is some life on Jupiter. And it's this giant, you know, these giant, huge miles long kite creatures and Mm -hmm. these even bigger balloon creatures in the different uh, levels and strata of the atmosphere of Jupiter. And there's, it's a weird little ecosystem, but because uh, it's such a volatile uh, and gaseous planet, the aliens conclude that the evol- it's an evolutionary dead end. Do, if there is, you know, a gaseous planet, well, we, obviously we haven't probed Jupiter, 
to the very core or anything, but like, can you imagine uh, a life form actually being able to live on a gaseous planet like Jupiter or one of the gaseous planets around Trappist-1? If life did exist around Jupiter, then it would definitely be the sort of like kite balloon-like creatures that, that float around because the the icy core of Jupiter that like the solid surface on Jupiter is, is so far below the, the atmosphere. So like we call it a, a gas giant, but really mm-hmm. it's just an, like a, an ice chunk with a lot of gas around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that gas does create pressure. It has weight. So it, it has gravity. Um, and so if, if any things tried to exist on the icy core of Jupiter, like they'd be, they'd be crushed or else they'd have to, like evolution would have to work really <laughs> hard <laughs> to help them out. Uh, so yeah, they'd they'd be flying around in the in the gas. But how could air. that? I mean, like, how could uh, even like, let's say there's a variation on the amino acid, right? Like, mm-hmm. how how would anything? I guess I guess maybe I'm just limited by my earth my earthbound heritage. I can only imagine something mm-hmm. like. The primordial ooze, like a liquid-based mm-hmm. uh, series of uh, chemical interactions. Uh, could something like that even happen in a gaseous uh, scenario? Yeah, I, I mean, gas moves around, too. It, it, The motion in the gas would create opportunities for chemicals to combine and create life, just like they would in a, in mm. a liquid. Um, where, where I have difficulty is imagining, like, how things would would live and exist and reproduce. Yeah, I think I have a, a hard time thinking about how air aliens yeah. would have would have babies. It would mm. be I mean they just have to bump into each other. Yeah, or... and, and then like hold on to yeah. things. Like they can't they can't set eggs down. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, they you think I'm clingy Carol. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm just I'm kind of lost thinking about this now. I know. So. It's, <laughs> it's it's an interesting chapter in the book. Mm-hmm. Like they, they these giant kite monsters. Um and then they just <laughs> turn the planet into a sun because fuck you, kites. <laughs> that's what that book should have been called. Fuck you, kites. Oh, that's uh, you should write fan fiction. I'm going to write fan- <laughs> Guys, check out my book, Fuck You, Kites. <laughs> it's about the dead animals on Jupiter. Um, um, well, let's uh, uh, wrap it up with yep. kind of um, uh, why are we so obsessed? It's sort of an existential question. Why are we so obsessed with the idea of... Uh, life on other planets like what is it about it because I think I think it's kind of crosses mm-hmm. the line between people who are not religious people who are religious mm-hmm. it's just I think a human thing like the idea of life existing outside of what we know is fascinating right I think part of it is if we find life elsewhere then depending on whether you're religious or not whatever you believe it will kind of af- affirm your beliefs <laughs> in whatever <laughs> direction they already kind of exist uh, and so people just want to know if we're alone how we got here if we find life elsewhere then it'll it'll help us learn more about how how we got here specifically mm. and I just, I just want to know what what they look like I'm, I'm really interested in in learning how evolution would work in different environments uh, like, have you imagined something like a specific kind yeah my uh, <laughs> uh, so so my, my thesis was a science fiction book and I had to think about what life would form evolutionarily on a on a totally different planet so i spent a long time thinking about about what life would would 
would look like under different conditions. And when I heard about the Trappist discovery, my my sci-fi writer's brain kicked in, <laughs> and I, I for for a day, like I couldn't really do science because I was just so excited thinking about what stories I could write about Trappist and and what life might possibly exist there, and how would the the different the life on different planets interact with each other if they did interact with each other? Like that's such a cool idea. Like imagine there are seven. There are seven planets. Imagine if each planet was kind of just like a continent on Earth Mm -hmm. and you could travel between the planets really quickly uh, and and each planet would have a different culture and there would there would be like race wars, but it'd be between different planets. (laughs) So much cool stuff. I imagined uh, one story where there's like a main planet. And that main planet used the other planets as like prisons, almost like like levels of hell. <laughs> um, and so like depending on on the severity of your crime, you would be sent to different outer planets. And I was oh. like, that's such a cool idea. Basically, just thinking about about Australia. <laughs> like, like, English people just sent sent criminals to Australia. Six different Australias. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. So we'll expect your uh, series of novels to start coming out next mm-hmm. year, probably. Mm-hmm. Followed. Yeah. Quickly on the heels of fuck you guys. <laughs> uh, well, let's. Uh, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Moya, um, and ex- talking to us more about Ooh. this. Um, it, when I heard the about the discovery, it was like we were talking all around this when we had Moya on before. Let's let's get her back and have more. So this <laughs> yeah, is great. This was a nice treat. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, let's close out with a uh, secular prayer, if everyone. I, uh, I know the deal. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Carol, are you going to start off? I will start. Uh, I don't have mine yet, but here I have mine now. I have to get my. Get, get your NPR voices, voice. everyone. I'm Gregory Stable. <laughs> and I'm Pamela Saxon. Coming up today, we're going to take a look at knees. They're in the middle of your legs, but at the top of our minds. <laughs> I just thought of that. That's how good I am. Guys, yes and everything. <clears throat> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to just keep it quiet like that wasn't gold. <laughs> He'll stop if I don't say anything. <laughs> uh, Joey on the soundboard. Uh, we've got Joey. Uh, Joey, we've got a call from Myron in Schenectady. Skin- Joey wants to know uh, what the knee would do if you hit it with a hammer. That's a very good question. What would the knee do? Oh, Shada. You're going to do all the voices. I will if you force me to. You could play with me once in a while. All right. <clears throat> You ready? Yes. Our fellow humans who art here and now. Hallowed be thy consciousness. Thy kingdom floats. In a universe so vast, it's like totally bananas, man. Therefore, be kind to each other. And don't eat so much bread. Ask forgiveness of your trespasses. And forgive those who trespass against you. Because all of us can be really fucking annoying. For thou art the mind inside thine stupid human suit. The only one of its kind. We are thus also. And that must simply be enough. Amen. Amen. Amen, Jesus. Every time. Jesus. Every time. <laughs> Every time. I don't know what that is. Guys. Lovely. Stupid human suits. Uh, don't forget to follow Moya on uh, 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 at GoAstroMo <laughs> on Twitter. On the Twitters. On Jesus. Mm-hmm. Shut up. You 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 shut up. Shut up. Fade out. <laughs> For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to CaveComedyRadio.com. 